0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, March 13th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer, Chris Evangelista.
2: Hello, folks.
1: So today it was revealed... <laughs> that uh, Twitter is going to get rid of the likes and the retweets. Chris, how do you feel about that?
2: Uh, this is a dumb idea uh, for many reasons. <laughs> I can't imagine who this is for because, I mean, personally, I hate it. But I also I know that, like, uh, quote, unquote, brands will not like this because all they care about are you know engagement. They care about tweets and they care about likes and retweets. So I can't imagine anyone is going to be happy about this. I don't really know. It just sounds like Twitter is trying yeah. to turn into Instagram, which is just stupid because we already have Instagram. Wait, but doesn't Instagram have likes? They do. But, it, you know, the, the rest of these changes, they they clearly point out that Twitter is focusing more on, like, the camera and photos because they, they basically just want to be Instagram. I think they're going to have, like, filters like Instagram has, like, you know, which is yeah. also what Snapchat has. It's 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 a it's a it's shit, basically.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh Brad. Any insight on this? I know I know this isn't a movie topic, but I, I just read about this before we started recording, and I thought this was just such a horrible idea.
3: Yeah, I mean, I hate it too because uh, I, I also like the self-gratification of seeing <laughs> how, many, how many likes and retweets I get, uh, especially if something goes, you know, quote-unquote viral because uh, – You know, it's been retweeted a bunch of times uh, by somebody, usually when when Peter ends up retweeting something that we did through the slash. But
1: but I do think like we will see those numbers like the person posting will see these numbers, but other people won't see these numbers.
3: Yeah, I want other people to see how cool I am, too. That's what social media is about. (laughs) Look at how cool I am. (laughs)
2: Exactly. Yeah. Like, who can I don't I don't need self-satisfaction. I need everyone else to know how amazing I am and how beloved I am. And then you get self-satisfaction from that. Exactly. I know. The
1: the next thing Twitter's going to do is remove uh, follower numbers so that people can't see how popular you are.
2: Don't give them any ideas because they'll do that now.
1: Okay, Uh, let's talk about a story that broke yesterday. Yesterday I was uh, away on a set visit, uh, but I had an exclusive on the site. And this is an exclusive about a new Marvel Studios project Uh, they are developing with Disney Plus, the streaming service. Basically, they are going to be creating a TV series based on the What If comic book series. This is something I used to read as a kid. This comic book series uh, would imagine alternate, you know worlds where different events happened um you know they would use it to have to tell literally impossible stories like uh what if the x-men had died on their first mission or uh there would be like you know fan service to solve like nerd arguments so like what if venom possessed the punisher and uh the great thing about the series is it had like a lot of very insanely weird concepts For example, like, you know, what if Iron Man was trapped in the time of King Arthur? Or, you know, uh, what if the Fantastic Four was the Marvel bullpen? So that's basically like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and those guys. <laughs> so it was it was really weird and strange. Uh, the cool thing about this, well, first of all, it's, it's going to be an animated series. It's going to be an anthology series. So each episode is going to take on a new concept. The only one I know that's happening for sure is kind of an adaptation of one of the ones from the comics. And it's uh, What If Loki Had Found the Hammer of uh instead of thor so um so it'll, it'll give you alternate realities they're gonna i i think the plan is to have the actors who play these roles come in and voice the characters uh so have tom hiddleston voice loki um and you know obviously uh you know an animated film coming in and doing voice work you know you can come in for a day a few hours and get that done so I, there's not much time commitment there. So that that's why I think they're how they're going to accomplish that. Uh but the the cool thing here is I think it's going to be playing with the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's going to take events that we have seen over these 10 years of movies and present them in different ways. I don't know of any of the episodes that are in development other than the Loki one, but uh you know, what if uh what if the other half of the Marvel universe disappeared or were dusted in Infinity War? Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're gonna get like things like that. Uh, so, Brad, I wanted to hear what your thought your thoughts on this. Do you think this is a cool idea? Is this stupid? Do you do you have any interest, that, or it's just this is an animated series and it's not in continuity, so you you, you don't care?
3: No, I think this is a very cool idea because. Um, I really enjoy the just the sheer concept of what-if comics, taking these wild ideas that you would never really be able to pull off within the the Marvel Comics universe or the Marvel Cinematic Universe simply because it would upset the order of the story arcs that they have going on. So it allows you to explore these cool ideas as if you were playing you know, with these characters in, in your own sandbox. And I think doing it as an animated series allows them a lot more freedom to create something that is really stylish and cool, and it really taps into the potential and the limitless possibilities of what-if stories. Um, not unlike, you know, something wildly new, uh, bold, and innovative like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse did. You know, that was something that you probably could never really pull off in live-action form. So, taking these stories, putting them in animation, um, I think is is a really good idea. I think there's a lot of potential here for something that that's really fun, especially since a lot of these are just you know, one off stories that don't have huge ramifications that you have to worry about impacting, you know, the rest of uh, a certain series or characters or anything like that.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of creativity to explore there. Chris, I know you were kind of getting tired of the Marvel movies. You're you're feeling the superhero fatigue, even though you loved, um, you know, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, uh, which is an animated uh, film. Does this interest you at all?
2: yeah this sounds cool i i was a fan of the uh the what if comics i remember i had one when i was younger it was called what if the punisher killed spider-man and the whole comic was literally like the punisher kills spider-man and like the entire marvel universe then turns on the punisher and tries to kill him (laughs) because they all love spider-man and I, i i love that you know that Opportunity. I and you know, DC has their own sort of version with this with the Elseworlds thing where you know it's like, what if Batman fought Jack the Ripper? And I I just like that sort of thing where they take established stuff and do like really weird far out stuff with it. And uh so yeah, this is actually a really cool idea. Yeah. I,
1: I remember there was a comic book that was like, What if the Avengers had no one to fight? So it imagined a future where they had defeated all the you know the bad supervillains. And they had to actually like find a normal way in society because there was nothing for them to do. Um, so it has all kind of crazy things like that. I'm wondering how crazy it's going to get on Disney Plus. Like, do you think they'll do like you know what if, uh, you know, so you know, one of our big beloved superheroes gets killed? Like, is that? I feel like they're going to go fam- more family friend- friendly. Yeah, I don't
2: know. I mean, like, DC has been making animated movies that are, like, rated R, like they did the the Killing Joke rated R movie, but I don't know what they're going to do with this. They might not just because it's Disney, and but I guess we'll see. Yeah,
1: well, I've heard Kevin Feige is overseeing this, so uh, I'm very excited, and I'm sure we'll hear more about this either at, in April during that meeting where they're going to show off all the Disney Plus stuff or at Comic-Con in July. So uh, look forward to that. Uh, when I was, uh, while I was away yesterday, uh, there was a big article talking about Sony's plans for the next seven years of Spider-Man movies, TV shows, and uh, I guess media, media crossing like uh, universes. Chris, what do we know?
2: Yeah, every everything is coming up Sony now. You know, there was this period where it seemed like Sony didn't know what the hell they were doing. And, you know, they, they struck a deal with Marvel to bring Spider-Man into the MCU, but after Venom and after into the Spider-Verse, they're feeling a lot more confident about their, you know, their Spider-Man characters. And, uh, now that, you know, they have, they have hundreds and hundreds of, of, they have actually 900 Spider-Man adjacent characters to deal with now that they own the rights to. And after, by the way, that uh,
1: that that is the scariest part of this article is the quote that said – I think it was from one of the Sony executives that said that they were exploring possible movies and TV shows based on all 900 of the Spider-Man-adjacent co- characters that they have rights to.
2: That's right. So who knows? So yeah, so this deal um, – uh, basically, Sony has it planned out for the next seven years where they're planning both films and TV shows. Um, of course, we already know – there's going to be a Venom 2 and we already know they're making Morbius right now with Jared Leto but you know they're they're all in on on going all out on their their Spider-Man universe or as they're calling it Sony's universe of Marvel characters which is very clunky and they probably should have workshop that title a little better. Um and there's a slight irony to this because this is what Sony has been trying to do all along. You know, their whole plan when they rebooted Spider-Man with Ah, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man Two was to start this Spider-Man universe. You know, they had planned the Sinister Six movie, and that was actually set up at the end of the Amazing Spider-Man Two. But the problem was, those films weren't that big. I mean, the first Amazing Spider-Man did well, but the second one uh, did not do as well at the box office, and, and critics really didn't like it. And you know that that whole concept of a uh, a big spider universe got trashed. But now. It looks like they're going to try it again, and it seems like they have a better idea of how to go about it. Of course, we're saying that now, but the minute one of these films bombs, like the minute Morbius bombs, I'm not saying it will, but if it does, you know, I'm sure they're going to start reconsidering how they approach this. I'm just worried with the success
1: of Spider-Verse and the success of Venom that they're going to decide, you know, after this, you know, Far From Home that they could, you know, take that version of Peter Parker and... Uh, I mean, and uh, run with it in their their own way. Do you know what I mean? Like they could they could basically bring him into that Venom universe and all the other things that the Sony's producing, and not along or not with uh Marvel Studios proper. Uh, that's what I'm kind of worried about. I I am, I am excited about this animated Spider Verse. Like you know what, uh, Lord Miller were able to uh. Create and design uh, for Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse with those three directors is is amazing, and uh, I'm hoping their ambitions aren't too lofty and isn't gonna you know. I feel like once once you like see that there's money in it, studios usually take the wrong path. Brad, are you still excited about this?
3: Um, I mean. To a certain extent, sure. Um, I think right now the only thing that I'm super excited about is what they do with the Spider-Verse universe and how they, they keep that going. Otherwise, I don't really care much about any of the other Spider-Man properties they're trying to turn into uh, movies or anything like that. Um, like Unless it's Spider-Man as he relates to the Marvel Cinematic Universe or the new Spider-Verse animated films... I just, I'm not interested in any of the other characters. It's going to take a lot of convincing for me uh, to get there. And that's totally fine because there was a time when we were all like, do we really need an animated Spider-Man movie? Uh, and look at where we are now. Yeah. So I'm I'm very happy to be convinced that these movies are something that are, uh, you know, worth paying attention to and seeing. But something like Morbius, like, honestly, I could take it or leave it. But if it turns out to be good, then I'll be the first one to, you know, say that I'm, I'm happy and pleased with it.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're all kind of on the same page here. Um, let's move on to Captain Marvel. Um, I guess this is a spoiler for Captain Marvel, uh, but originally, I mean, it has a post credit sequence that, uh, yeah, so if you have not seen <laughs> Captain Marvel, maybe skip ahead a little bit here. Uh, it, it has a post credit se- sequence that it kind of like leads into Endgame, and we don't really have to talk about that too much here but originally they had a different post credit scene. Brad, what do we know?
3: Yes, this, we do have to touch a little bit about spoilers because this post credit scene does give us an idea of what happens to a certain character at the end of Captain Marvel. Um, and the, the post credit scene, one of the early ideas for it uh, w- would have focused on Jude Law's character, Yon-Rogg. Uh, at the end of Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers apprehends him, uh, restrains him, and puts him in one of the Cree spaceship pods, and uh, or maybe it's one of the, the laboratory pods from uh Mar-Vell's ship. Either way, she throws him into a spaceship and sends him back to the Cree planet Hala to give them uh, a message for her. And the last we see of yon is that ship blasting out of, out of Earth into space. Uh, so we don't ever know if he gets there or not. And a post credit scene would have shown us that the pod uh, crash lands on Sakar which is the wormhole-surrounded, basically, junkyard planet run by Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, so he would have crash-landed there on his pod, gotten out, looked up and seen that giant wormhole called the Devil's Anus, and been like, where the hell am I? Um, so that would have been a kind of a fun scene, but it also could have created some problems, maybe, uh, with setting up a, a sequel or something like that, and they would have had to explain you know, how yon got there or got back to Hala after that. Um, so, yeah, personally, I would have liked to have seen them do that scene, but also have him run into the Grandmaster. And maybe the Grandmaster <laughs> gets a little saucy about seeing somebody like Jude Laud on Sakar and either wants to turn him into uh, one of the contenders for his contents of champions or maybe get him involved in one of those crazy spaceship orgies that he has. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that would have been fun, I feel like him just
1: appearing there isn't good enough, but you like you said if they if he actually got to run in have a you know interaction with the grandmaster th- that could have been a lot of fun. I do have a theory here I have a crazy fan theory that uh and i have talked about this on Twitter I want to say this on the podcast just to have it out there that the end credit scene that we saw in Avengers uh infinity war um was not originally intended for that movie. Now, uh the Russo brothers have said publicly that the Avengers Infinity War originally didn't have an end credit scene that they shot that late into production. They wanted the movie to end with just, you know, Thanos will, will return. Um and uh, I know I asked Kevin Feige in my interview that played yesterday on the podcast if uh, about that, and he kind of said it always had an end credit scene and he kind of dodged the question. Um, what I think actually happened is this: I think the the end credit scene that what was on Infinity War that they added on because they needed something to you know, uh, you know, kind of kill that downer of an ending uh i think that was originally written for captain marvel and uh l- let me lay out the point here right now the way it plays is that end credit scene sets up the pager and then you know once we watch captain marvel we see the pager and it's almost like a prequel thing where we're like oh that's how she got the pager and whatever um but if it had appeared if that scene and by the way, that scene, you know, obviously would have changed it would have been a little different because it was shot by the Russos in the last days of the reshoots for Infinity War, um, the uh you know, that end credit scene. Uh if it had played at the end of Captain Marvel, it would have played as kind of um a tease for Avengers Endgame, right? Um right now the you know, uh spoiler alert for Captain Marvel, but the end credits scene for For that movie now is kind of a scene from Avengers Endgame kind of showing how, you know, Captain Marvel appears there. And it actually kind of feels a little little weird to me. I talked on the spoiler discussion about that. Uh, But, Brad, I wanted to hear what your thoughts are are on this. Like, do you you think I'm insane or do you think there could be something to this? Because if if you also think about it, that scene, that Avengers Endgame scene had both Nick Fury and, you know, is teeing up Captain Marvel. Uh, like, you know, that would have been a, a cool scene to have at the end of Captain Marvel.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it would have been it's I don't think you're insane necessarily, but I'm just not sure that it doesn't it really accomplishes anything in a much better way than the currently current situated credit scenes did. Um, simply because, like, it's I feel like it would have been maybe a little bit I don't know, jarring in some way to suddenly have. A post-credit scene in Captain Marvel, which just took place in the '90s, time jump to back to. Well, that's what Avengers. I do already. Right. I, well, I know, I know, and I, I say that, but uh, but also I think that having Captain Marvel pop up there is that's kind of like more of an exciting tease, in a way, uh, because it's the idea of Captain Marvel meeting the Avengers is something exciting, as opposed to just like oh, there he's calling Captain Marvel. Um so I, I don't know it's I, I think it could go could go either way It's definitely an interesting theory like I, I i don't think you're crazy at all for having it, but I just i don't know I think it worked out better the way the way they have it set up fair enough uh let's talk about Annapurna
1: there is uh re- recent news that they have they're kind of losing a lot of money. Chris, what do we know?
2: Yeah, you know every year i I hear the same thing from uh film fans they say why aren't there more? Original movies. Why is the the film landscape only uh, sequels and superhero movies and so on and reboots? And the reason is this, when original movies come out, no one goes to see them. And it's very depressing and disheartening. Um, case in point, Annapurna, who is one of the most interesting uh, studios out there right now, I put them up there with like A24 in you know the quality of stuff they, they put out. They had a great year quality-wise last year. They put out If Beale Street Could Talk, they put out Destroyer, Vice, The Sisters Brothers, and Sorry to Bother You. And in my opinion, all of those movies are either good or great But out of that entire lineup, the only film that made money for them last year is Sorry to Bother You. And the amount it made is very, very minimal. Uh, Vice, for instance, lost about 15 to 20 million to the box office. Beale Street lost about 8 to 10 million. Destroyer lost 7 million. And uh, the biggest flop of them all. Was the Sisters Brothers, which for some reason cost thirty-eight million to make, which seems a bit ridiculous because it's a a kind of a small movie, but it it barely made one million at the box office. So it's 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 really disheartening, as I said, because these movies are really good. These are original movies; they're movies for adults, but no one is checking them out. I don't know if it's just people aren't interested, or if Annapurna's marketing team isn't that good, like of Talk should have been, uh, you know, a, a big hit, in my opinion. Uh, Vice also should have been a big hit, you know. That, you know, even though that's probably the yeah. the most critically derided of all the films, that probably should have done well at the box office. It had a big cast. It had this big push for, you know, the Oscars. But I, I don't know what's going on here. But Annapurna is uh, sort of in trouble, and I'm hoping they work it out because, like I said, they they're responsible for some really great movies and it would suck if they basically go under because no one cares. It would. Um,
1: they do make great movies. I do kind of wonder, you know, I know you're painting it as original pictures versus, you know, big superhero films, but I, I, I do feel like a lot of what Anna Perna produces is kind of outside of the norm. It's not just like an original thing, but it, it, pushes your beliefs yeah. and do you know i mean like they're and it's very hard to market like how do you market yeah. even sorry to bother you which is the one success there like i would think that would make the least because like how do you market that other than oh it has tessa thompson
2: yeah you know and you know i say this in the in the story too that you know i, I never thought any of these movies would be you know blockbusters to begin with these th- movies aren't you know, these don't sound like they're going to be big hits, but the fact that they're such big flops is, yeah. I think, like, you would think they would at least break even, and they're not even doing that. So I don't know if it's a matter of just they're, they're spending too much on the budgets or, or what, but there's some some sort of disconnect going on.
1: I do feel like there's an opportunity here. Like, I feel like Fox Searchlight used to be the company that would make these small film original films that were very accessible to the masses and i don't feel like they're doing that as much anymore they're kind of chasing uh award and critical acclaim i i feel like there's an opportunity here for annapurna to kind of pick up that mantle and like i feel like they just need to make more accessible original films like is that is that bad for me to say chris
2: uh, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I think that the answer is to balance it out, where they make accessible films, but they also are still willing to take risks with yeah. weirder stuff. Like, I, there needs to be sort of you know, a give and take there.
3: Yeah. I also I also think Fox Searchlight, uh, for whatever reason, I don't necessarily know how, but they, they seem like they marketed their movies a little bit better. And Annapurna, they definitely know how to give the right vibe for their movies and sell what the movie really is. But I feel like maybe they're not pushing it to the right people or pushing it enough or maybe they just don't have the budget to spend uh, on marketing the movie as much. Because if there's, if that's, I think that's one of the reasons Fox Searchlight did so well with those kinds of movies is because they, they knew exactly how to push them and get people into theaters to see them.
1: Guys – I have to stop this. We have some breaking news. It was just reported by Deadline that Shang Chi, the Marvel Studios film, has found a director in Destin Daniel Cretton. He is the filmmaker who did the acclaimed film Short Term 12 that played at Sundance uh, years ago, starred Brie Larson, among many others. Uh, He also did a film called uh, I Am... Not a hipster that played at Sundance, which I liked in 2012. And uh, he has signed on to play this in the this Marvel Studios film, which it sounds like this is probably gonna be happening way sooner than I expected. Uh,
3: Brad, what do we know about Chang Chi? We honestly don't know a lot about him. Um he's very skilled in martial arts. He's like one of the best, you know, uh, empty handed fighters. Uh, he's been able to defeat several superhuman characters uh, in the Marvel Comics universe. And apparently at some point, he's exposed to uh, some kind of radioactive material that allows him to create duplicates of himself, um, which is probably one of the cooler superhero things about him. Um, otherwise, you know, this is uh, def- probably the most obscure character that Marvel will be attempting to turn into uh, a movie. But at the same time... Since this is, uh, you know, an, an Asian superhero, we could be looking at something here that fits more along the lines of a Black Panther, where we're introducing a diverse superhero. We're diving into uncharted territory as far as depicting uh, a culture that we haven't really seen prominently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this is something that could be very cool for Marvel, and it could, you know, give a character like this the spotlight, you know, that um, a, a non-white superhero character deserves. Um, You know, I was a big fan of Short Term 12, and that film kind of, like,
1: launched the careers. I mean, I don't want to say launched, because these people did have careers before then, but, like, everybody in that film now has, like, big careers. Brie Larson is in Captain Marvel. Rami Malik won an Oscar. Uh, and this was before, you know, Mr. Robot. Like Keith Stanfield, uh, you know, huge. Uh, who else was in that? John Gallagher. This was before he kind of uh, his uh, rise. Um, so, you know, that's a movie that you should go check out. If you're, you know, a, just a fan of cinema, you should go check out Short Term 12. Uh, Chris, I'm wondering what you think of this because this is a. Uh, You know, this is the next in the line of Marvel tapping Sundance directors. You know, they they hired um, – what's his name for Spider-Man? John Watts. John Watts, yeah, off of his film Cop Car that played at Sundance. Uh, Ryan Bowden and Anna Fleck, uh, you know, who obviously did a bunch of Sundance films for Captain Marvel. So, you know, they're they're doing – this guy, like, what are your thoughts on uh, Shang-Chi?
2: Uh, I know absolutely nothing about this character. Uh, I had to look it up. All uh, based on Wikipedia, his one superpower is that he can create duplicates of himself. So I guess that's visually interesting. Um, I I don't know. I don't want to instantly knock this because I don't know anything about it, and uh, you know it could turn out to be a great uh, original thing. I do think.
1: What about the uh, filmmaker though? I mean, uh, you know,
2: you've seen um, Short sure Term 12, right? No, I actually have not oh, wow. seen that. Even though I always hear it's great, I just never gotten around to see it. That said, it's hard to get excited about these these great indie directors because they end up getting swallowed up by the Marvel machine. Like uh Anna Bode and Ryan Fleck, they've made some really great indie movies. I didn't think their direction on Captain Marvel was even like that memorable. It was very point and shoot. And I just feel like they this happens a lot. It's very rare. And an indie director breaks out within the world of Marvel. I think, like, Ryan Coogler is, like, the best yeah. example. So, you know, but like I said, it's way too soon for me to judge this this early. So, uh, you know, if it turns out to be a good movie, I'll like it. Brad,
3: what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much right right there with Chris, too. But I'm, I'll be, you know, cautiously optimistic, uh, waiting for our first glimpse of uh, this movie, but like I said, I, I like the idea of, you know, Marvel expanding their roster to include a lot more diverse superheroes, especially when this is a superhero who uh, kind of has a, a very dated history when it comes to um, how, you know, Asian culture was used during his the character's prominence in like the 70s and 80s, re- relying on a lot of the familiar uh, archetypes and troubling depictions we've seen of Asian characters back then, a lot of, a lot of cliches and Uh, borderline, you know, uh, racist depictions. So I think if Marvel can, you know, take this character and turn it into something that can be, you know, a source of pride, you know, for for agents, a character that they can buy into and support and, you know, take inspiration from, then there's a lot of potential here. Yeah.
1: And it should be mentioned that this filmmaker was born in Hawaii. So he d- does have a little bit of that in his blood. Uh he has worked uh he produced uh with Michael B Jordan. He produced uh that film uh what what it was called? Uh, Just Mercy, which I haven't seen. Um so there is some you know I I expect <laughs> that this this character will be completely reworked uh for the modern day audiences and not fall into those traps um but uh, you know i'm excited and it's interesting because i remember seeing uh photos from the captain marvel premiere last week or two weeks ago and he was there and i just assumed that he was there because you know brie larson
0: yeah
2: Yeah. uh
1: but apparently you know i'm sure a deal was in the works at that time already uh
2: i just want to cut in here i just checked and short term 12 is streaming on amazon prime so if you like me have not seen it check it out and i think i'm i'm finally going to watch it now after all this this talk
1: yeah and and that that movie is kind of about uh a bunch of people who are working at a group home for at-risk teenagers and uh this filmmaker based it um after college he worked uh college or high school after graduating from something he worked for a couple years as a staff person at one of these and he based a short film on that called short term 12 which played at sundance in 2008 and he came back to the festival five years later with that that film that i I think got so much critical acclaim so yeah check it out on you said amazon prime now
2: uh yes streaming on amazon prime video
1: okay so that brings us to the end of today's Slash Elm Daily. You can find more of all of our work at dot You can find the stories we talked about on today's podcast linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slash Elm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at Slash And please go rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. See, I I have not read any of these Shang-Chi comics, and I don't really know much about the character. What I'm wondering is, like, reading these descriptions of the character, it sounds like there's kind of a lot of similarities to, like, Doctor Strange in that there's kind of some – you know, there's Asian influence of, like, this kind of – like, Doctor Strange can also, like, replicate himself too, right? Like, he did that in um, Infinity War, and then Thanos was able to knock him out of it, so –
3: I'm wondering, like, how do you make I don't think that Doctor Strange can duplicate himself in the same way, though. I think Doctor Strange can create projections of himself, but those projections don't have a physical presence. Oh, they're not real. They're just like, uh... yeah, because that because when he did that, it was kind of as a way to, like, distract Thanos so that he couldn't figure out which one was the real him. Okay, I'm going to have to read some Shang-Chi comics on my Marvel
1: Unlimited app.